Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. Become a Coast Insider to hear the rest of this fascinating conversation and check out recent shows where we learned about scientific efforts to revive the woolly mammoth, the latest in military drone technology, and the mysterious Shroud of Turin. And you can listen to those programs and many more amazing Coast shows by heading over to coasttocoastam.com and signing up for Coast Insider. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Chip Coffee back with us, internationally acclaimed medium, paranormal investigator, writer, speaker. His abilities manifested themselves when he was a young child and after successful careers in counseling, the entertainment industry, and the travel management, he began a full-time career as a medium. Chip has hosted Psychic Kids, Children of the Paranormal, a one-hour documentary pilot, followed by several seasons of the groundbreaking series that aired on both the A&E and Biography, and, of course, uh, the last TV show, Exorcism Live, which was great about uh, that incredible story of the little boy from Baltimore who ended up in St. Louis, and they exorcised him there. Chip, welcome back. Always a pleasure. Um, You know, it's kind of... Getting to be the season for all things spooky, so my schedule's getting ready to ramp up, and I'm sort of taking it easy for a couple of weeks before that happens. Well, good, because, uh, look, you deserve it. You are one of the hardest-working people in the paranormal field, Chip, that I know. I mean, you don't stop. I, You know, my birthday's happening in a couple of weeks, and, and as I get older, I start thinking, when is when am I going to start to slow down a little bit, and I don't see it in the near future. Your, your birthday's on the solar eclipse day, isn't it? actually on the solar eclipse day. Isn't that great? I love it. I love it. Well, I, I'm going to make a prediction. Okay. I'm, go- I'm going to make the sun dark for your birthday for a couple minutes Ooh, on that day. Like that that's, that's my prediction. I that. like that thought. You're a powerful man. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, you, I want to talk with you a little bit about that Exorcism Live TV show that okay. you did uh, a year ago, wasn't it? It was on... Uh, Gosh, would you believe it's been a year and a half now, I think. Jeez. It's crazy. Yeah. Almost two years. My gosh, that's something else. But what what was your take on that that real case of that little boy? You know, I think that there was really something to it. I don't think that that we'll ever know the complete story. I mean, there's been people that have looked at the diary of the of the priest that worked worked on the case, and other people talked to other people surrounding the case. The Booth brothers actually did a great documentary on. Um, on the on the case and on the story but you know there's there's so much to it the fact that they've you know supposedly some of the furniture that was in the building are now housed at a at an army facility and kept in quarantine and just the feel of the house itself after all those years was very was very bizarre and a little bit disturbing so i'd have to say that that the, the story the actual true story definitely has some facts and some legs to it Chip, I had heard, because, you know, I spent a lot of time in St. Louis, that when they sold off some of the furniture from the hospital, some of the people who bought it had these bizarre paranormal experiences. I've heard that, too. Yeah. So I would get, I would get rid of that furniture post-haste. I well, think. you know, and the house had a really, a really weird feel to it. Even when I first went into the house, it was... It was a very oppressed feeling, and, you know, it, it, no matter how much holy water you use, no matter how much prayer you invoke or anything else, unless the, the people who are inhabiting the house really want something gone, it's not going to leave. And you feel this pretty darn fast, too. You are very sensitive about these things. 
I've been blessed with a sense of discernment when I walk into certain places and, you know, if there is, if there's, in the rare instance there, that there is a malevolent or an evil entity or specifically a demonic entity in the house, they tend to be quite vocal with me. They like to brag. Tell me some of the most significant cases or experiences you've worked with. Well, with regard to to what we were just talking about, I think one of the most frightening things that's ever happened to me, and I don't really get scared. I get rattled or I or, or momentarily shocked by something. But hearing the the voice, a, a very demonic sounding guttural male voice, come out of the body of a three year old little girl, on yeah. one of the cases I did on Paranormal State, that that certainly got my attention. Th- that's scary. Um, you know, other things I, I've had people tell me that after they've talked to me and I've done readings for them that they were considering ending their own lives and they didn't do so. So on a very different level, that's been very, that's been very affecting to me when I have those sorts of experiences. So it's been, it's, it's kind of run the gamut, George. It's run from, from the, the kind of horrific to, to the more spiritually satisfying experiences. And are you at a point yet now, Chip, where you could categorically say, what are these spirits? What are they in the first place? Why do they do this? You know, I don't know. There's so much that we don't know. Well, there's very little that we do know about the paranormal or the spiritual or the supernatural, whatever words you want to use. We, we, we have a lot of theories, but I have very few answers. Honestly, I don't. I can tell you what I believe or what I've been told or what I've read, but, but definitive answers, I just don't have them, George. But you do believe categorically that it exists. I believe as far as spirits, ghosts, entities go, that when we die, the essence of who we are, the the soul, makes some sort of a transition. It it leaves the body, and and it it goes somewhere. It either stays put here on the, on the in the third dimension, or it transitions to another realm or plane of existence. What makes it stay, or what makes it move on? Great question. I think that in that those who the, the rare few that decide to stay earthbound do so for a number of reasons. They they feel that they've got unfinished business. They may fear some sort of judgment from a divine entity that, you know, St. Peter or God or whomever is going to judge them. They may not feel worthy to be in the presence of God. Um, they may not want to leave their families. They may not know that they're dead. There may be those reasons. <clears throat> there may be other reasons because of their, their individual soul growth that they don't finish the transition. So they say earthbound or on the third dimension plane. And I think those who don't suffer from those sort of things, they, they kind of feel like they've led a, a fairly decent life. They're anxious to move ahead. Those are the ones that complete the transition, and they come back to visit on a, on a frequent basis. When somebody dies, Chip, do they instantly leave their body, and are they saying to themselves, oh, my gosh, I'm dead? I don't know that they're saying, oh, my gosh, I'm dead. I'm I'm. Some of them really want to be dead. I've, I've encountered souls that are like, I am so done with this body. I'm tired of suffering. I, I, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. So they feel like it's this, this immense freedom to be out of the body. And, and almost all of the souls feel that to some degree. But I think 
you know, especially if there's like a murder or an accident or a suicide, a sudden violent death, I think that there's there's something to be said about the fact that there's a level of shock to the system of of that of entering into that new state of being. At what point uh, do you sense their presence, or do you see them, or both? I'm not sure I understand your question. I mean, are, are you asking? Well, me? as a, as a medium, you you deal with spirits all the time. Do you see them, or do you just sense them? Well, you know, interestingly enough, I, I, unlike on television and in Hollywood, I don't typically see every spirit that I encounter. I usually sense their presence. I usually can tell that I'm in, in, in an area where there, there, there is an energy or a spirit or a soul. Um, but I have seen spirits in the past, absolutely. And, and I've sensed spirits from, I used to work with a hospice organization very regularly, and I don't get to do that as much with my crazy schedule. I would love to be able to do more. But I've been with people at time of death, and immediately at those times I felt their energy in the room shift from one state of being to another, and I felt energies that I have no idea. They may be centuries old or whatever. So on the, on the, on the continuum, I felt energies that, that are brand new to the spirit realm and some that are very ancient to the spirit realm. Science is beginning to test this, and I think they're starting to come around to believe that there is a real other side to all of this. And, you know, I, I, I know individuals who have worked in the medical field and in other fields of study, and they, they, a lot of them have come to the belief that there is something to this. I mean, think about this. They, they weigh bodies and bodies weigh less from the time that they're living to the time that the soul has supposedly left the body. So there's, again, all these theories about what happens. So, I, you know, there, there's got to be something to it. There have been so many experiences that have gone on. There's got to be something other than, oh, the brain is losing oxygen and fire and, and misfiring when, when, the, when the body's getting ready to die. There are, there's a lot of talk about Ouija boards. I happen to think Ouija boards aren't the smartest thing in the world to play with, that it creates uh, some kind of portal, that most of these spirits that come through aren't very friendly at all. What's your take on Ouija boards? Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of Ouija boards at all. It's a piece of pressed wood, press board. Um, there's got to be a however here, though. There is a however. You know, I think that the intent with which we use a board can affect the results. Mark Macy, whose website is, I think, worlditc.com, his quote always sticks with me about investigations, and any time you're starting to, to query or, or delve into the paranormal as an investigator, and Mark said, the intent of the seeker affects the results. So if you go into it expecting bad results, you may get bad results. If you go into it expecting not to have anything, not, not to have ha- Captain Howdy come through the board, you probably aren't going to have Captain Howdy. To give you an example, George, when I was a kid, I lived in a very haunted house in upstate New York. Okay. And, you know, I, I lived there from the time I was 10 years old until just before my 14th birthday. And the house was very active. Nothing negative, but very, very active. <clears throat> and we went to a place that at the time was very much like a Walmart and bought a Ouija board. And we consulted the Ouija board, my mom, my dad, and I, and some friends consulted a Ouija board, and the Ouija board gave us amazing information that we later verified as truth about the family that lived there. We never had an unpleasant or, or scary experience with the Ouija board. Contrary to that, I've heard a lot of people that have had unpleasant experiences with it. But, you know, again, I think it's, the, I think it's what you, you expect sometimes, 
and the intent that you go into to playing with or consulting a Ouija board that's going to affect the result. Well, you know, we've got a guest on. She comes on quite often, Karen Dolman, who is a staunch supporter of the Ouija board. Well, I have a friend whose name is Bob Murch, Robert Murch, and Robert Murch is probably one of the world's leading authorities on all things Ouija, and he has a huge collection. As a matter of fact, he just moved recently from Boston, the Boston area, to Denver, and he is opening in his home, in a, in a wing of his home, he's opening a huge museum of Ouija boards. He has such a huge, vast collection of them. And, you know, Bob's never had a particularly bad experience with a Ouija board at all. And, you know, he, he, he has hundreds of them, perhaps even thousands of them in his home. And if anybody was going to be susceptible to negative energies attached to, to various boards, it seems like it would be Bob, and he's never had what he's explained to me was any sort of unpleasant experience being surrounded by them. When, when a person dies and, and their soul is out there, does it immediately go on, you know, to being crossed over, or, or where does it go? You know, I think that, as we talked about before, I think some, of, some people stay around and watch their funerals or make sure that their families are going to be all right and, and hang around for a bit, and I don't think that time has the same value or temporal constraints right. as they do here in the third dimension. So I think some of them hang around for a while, and then they finish that transition. They go to the light, however you want to view that, or they cross over. They finish their, I call it they finish their transition from the world of the, that we call the living into spirit. So I think that, that that's what happens immediately after death. I mean, if you think about it in life, I'm a strong proponent of body, mind, and spirit. And we have no body anymore. So the body is, is useless to us, the, the vessel that we, that we lived in. But the mind exists, the consciousness exists, and the spirit, of course, the soul exists. So those two things, two out of three, continue to exist. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.